0: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Band Broadcast Network, NBBN, The focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, Painless Podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere through Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. Oh, wow, man. This is uh, like the... We're starting season four on drugs. Trippy, man. I guess the boys are taking this stuff seriously, though. That's a drag. A- anyway, I'm your far out announcer. I mean, I'm feeling far out. Whoa, moon, I'm Moonflower Huggy Bear Doss. And here are, uh- whoa, my mic is so pretty. I never noticed how beautifully phallic it is. But uh, who's got the salty snacks? Seriously, bro, I I need some Pringles. I bet you Robert has Pringles. I miss Ty. I'm so yeah, high. I'm
1: pretty sure Ty's allergic to Ty. Uh, yeah, Robert. That sucks. Did. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah,
0: and he's
2: well. It has been dry where, and sunny here for the last three or four days, so everything yeah. is well, in the air right it,
1: now. That's just it. It's a perfect storm because we had up until I think yesterday was our first. Not only was it our first 90-degree day, it was our first 80-degree day. We have had a cold, long, wet spring. Um, And so uh, it's where, you know, our, our pollen, our tree bloom pollen was way late and is just... Unrelenting now. Literally yeah, you go outside the, the way, rain, it's... look at your car and your car is tan. You live in a rainforest technically,
3: right? I mean most yep, of the, exactly. the usual yeah. normal. yeah no, yeah. It, yeah.
1: We are yeah. a we are a uh, a temperate rainforest is what it's referred to, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. temperant. Uh, yeah. but yeah, it's uh, just it's been really it's been really weird. But the good news is is that because we're starting summer so late this year, um, mm-hmm. our chances of being lit out fire hard. up here in the Pacific Northwest are a lot less than they were v- very last low. year and the year previously when, you know, literally the, you know, uh, Portland was under evacuation orders for fire. That was literally right outside the metropolitan area yeah, and that's, that's never, good. ever happened. So, um, oh, part of me, you know, I mean, Heather's been saying, you know, it's been so depressing. It's been so gray. And I was just like, I wake up every morning, it's gray and rainy and I'm just thankful to the yeah, gods. You're
3: not, you're not Southern California or Arizona yeah. or, or yeah. all those other places that are going to run out of water here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hello, Boomer.
1: He's hey, here. Boom. Okay. What's happening, puppy dog? How are the dogs oh, doing? Getting along. Really well.
3: They, they like yeah. each other a lot. Yeah. Trixie and, and him like each other now. The uh, Integration has
1: been smooth.
3: Yeah. actually, complete, Totally. Uh, the, the cute thing now is that, um, uh, when Boomer stops to smell something, she comes over to smell it too. Oh, so I think this is we like, have, a, we have to this confer a, a pack thing. <laughs> right. Another charming thing is because she's a shepherd, uh, she goes out and her eyes immediately look for, um, coyotes, raccoons, anything edible. Right. And Boomer. And so she's eye driven and Boomer is no, is nose driven. <laughs> it's just kind of fun to watch though. That's the, sweet. The, yeah.
1: So what else has been going on? Anything good?
3: Uh picking out furniture is a is an ongoing process. Eh? My bookshelves have been selected for me. And um yeah, the the most annoying thing about Alex is that, that she has really good taste and she's pretty much always right about everything.
1: <laughs> oh no. That's I, I would I would love to just be able to hand off the shit in my life that I'm particular <laughs> about. But don't want to be bothered with. Well, that's you know, what's have, happening. That's yeah. sort
3: of what's happening. I'm getting a, my new chair. I'm getting a chair downstairs that's coming. And I'm, she's looking Ooh. at couches and furniture. I did get, we have had to, um, because we moved in here, this was built 20 years ago. <clears throat> Pretty chic, she and chic for the time. And but you said you're, the,
1: you're a three? Are you or, or, are you a, a traditional
3: three or are you like a two up, one down? So it's a, uh, it's a townhouse and there's 10 units in here and it's, they're all vertical. So okay. we have the ground floor is a two car garage. Okay. First level is the open stuff. Second and third levels are bedrooms, laundry, blah, 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 stuff like right, that. Right. But it's 1600 square feet, which is like bigger than my old house was, I think. So Yeah. weird. It's weird. Um, oh, but so we did have to replace like apply. It's been appliances month. And so, um, oh. uh, yeah, new fridge and well, everything was 20 years old. So you'd think it would have lasted, <clears throat> but, mm-hmm. um, new fridge. Oh, uh, which is nice. That was easy. And then, um, oh, induction
1: range. <laughs> I saw, I happened to nice. see your, O-M-G. Yeah. Um, they,
3: I'm
1: they can be just rate, you know, our Michael, our Michael is a convert to induction heating. Oh, when he yeah. moved down yeah. from Portland to where he <clears> is now, he had some shitty. I think it was an electric range with just the yeah, you know, yeah, you know, one hundred and twenty dollar GE, and he decided, I'm going to get an election or a, a, a induction hot plate cooktop. Oh
3: yeah, the hot plate. And alone within a
1: to- within a week, <laughs> he had another one, and he just literally sits them on top of the burners.
3: Yeah, on his much. shit yeah. stove. Yeah yeah and he's just like these are fucking magical these- it is actually uh really alarming to watch and um i know water boils about 40 percent faster oh at least i can yeah. heat up like i can heat up like a gallon of cold water out of the tap for pasta in about four minutes oh you dick and the, the scariest thing is, we could we should do a demo on this just for the show. That'd but the be scariest great. Scariest thing was the first time I did it, I was like, "Oh boy, this will be really fun to watch this happen." And so I got it. I got it up. It was just boiling like crap. Put the spaghetti in. Came back down, still boiling like an mf'er. And <laughs> I thought, and I thought to myself, "There's too many bubbles here." So I just yeah. notched it down, and literally, I can adjust the level of the boil and the bubble in the sucker. And wow. it's just no, it's weird. I'll I'll do pictures next next time. It, okay. uh, and, uh, I, I well, think on average it uh, takes us twenty minutes
1: to boil oh yeah, enough water yeah. to make pasta.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's, I'm it's so, you know it's like we, uh, we I had a, we had a really nice gas range in here, but everything I've been reading about in it, gas ranges in the house. And blah blah blah. Is it really that big a deal? I don't know. But anyway, I needed an stove. <laughs> I don't know. Show, I, was-
2: I loved. I loved my. I, I uh, w- 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 one year I'm, I got my I got my mom a gas range for yeah uh, Christmas, yeah. and I fricking loved it. I, I mean, oh, it, I
3: still love cooking
1: on
2: heat on fire, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so, yeah while well, your induction range does a grilling a chili.
2: Yeah, I was I was not even aware of induction until just now and i'm on amazon and i'm looking at these countertops and they're inexpensive
3: the, just the like the 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 uh the, the heater unit guys you could just put one of those next to your stove for stuff like spaghetti water um they also work great on like eggs so the cat my cast iron goes on the sucker right and uh you can just dial it down so the egg is just kind of perfectly know, gently. oh that's gently moving along so uh yeah i'm kind of
2: sold the the, uh, the oven is just plain old electric I'm, I'm super curious about the about the technology the physics of it what it how it's it magnetic the physics, physics is cool. re- magnetic it's cool.
1: really easy yeah, yeah magnets that's all it is yeah. <laughs> magnets bitches um and uh i mean but what it does necessitate is that you buy induction compatible it does have to be yeah. ferric
3: and so you lose your yeah. aluminum and copper um yeah, which was, was- mm-hmm. uh, alex had a couple of very sexy uh Pans that she got 20 years ago that were aluminum all clads, but she also had these mm-hmm. very sexy stainless steel all clad pots. Oh, yeah. oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And that's that funny. Stuff was, I, just, yeah, I, bet.
2: I just got a Ferrick Walk. So uh, I love those. Tomorrow. Man. That sounds great. So. Yeah.
1: I still, I will, I will always stand, I will stand by next to, and at times inside my cast iron walk. (laughs) That is just, I mean, and part of me, you know, when we've got, we've got two walks, we've got the cast iron walk, and then we also have just a good old steel walk. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and there are times when I miss being able to do, you know, walk moves by hand there's there's nothing better than that gigantic monolithic
2: oh, yeah. pot <laughs> yeah, of yeah, no. black
1: iron. I got it. Oh, and it's yeah. true. Won't move. Yeah. You can get you can no, get you in there with a the wok tool, and he's, scrape he's, all he's, that fond off the bottom, he's, and, he's, and get now, the have, good crispy have,
2: business out of there. Have you ever have you ever thought to try doing like a gigantic Dutch baby in there?
1: <laughs> no, but I'm sure somebody has. That's what YouTube's for. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> <It's>
1: <laughs> Well, you know, I guess we started the show and we've now completed the first segment. <laughs> How <laughs> handy is that? Induction cooking, it's
3: um, the future. Catherine Hayo, yeah, by the way, Catherine Hayo, climate scientist, supported the idea too. So I'm just, really? I'm just yeah. Well,
1: see, now that's interesting yeah. because that's the tack
3: that I'll give some room oh, for. It's the energy efficiency is insane. Um sure. gas and electric uh traditional ranges are like 30% efficient uh, mm-hmm. in terms of that. Uh, these suckers are like 90% energy efficient.
2: That's because awesome. it's just it, I mean, the
3: magnet is, takes and, no energy at all, and every bit of it goes into the pan. And, and what they say, too, is that
1: I remember hearing somewhere that 60% or so, again, don't hold me to this, but 60% or so of the amount of energy mm. used in cooking is merely used... To heat your cooking vessel to the proper temperature first, right? Oh,
3: could very well be. So
1: the induction thing going from zero to fry effectively, yeah. or zero to boil yeah. in no time—that yeah. just that really does make sense. Yeah, it does because heat. it does not take it doesn't take a lot of electricity to make a decent electromagnetic
3: oh, field. The cool right. thing is, and watching, then you just you can watch the pattern of bubbles <laughs> in the I've in that. pan. Cool. I've heard that. I've heard that. I
2: feel like a cat <laughs> watching a <laughs> piece yeah, of yeah. yarn. You know what I love no. about this conversation, though, is that you know it, it's it's almost like 100 years after the fact everybody's finally waking up and going yeah you know nikola tesla had some good ideas <laughs>
1: well and how often does that happen and i mean that that really that should be a whole show unto itself what old shit is now back in new right. and we're just um, appreciating it properly for the first time well, yeah, yeah I'm,
3: waiting to see if, I'm waiting to see if mother nature comes back into vogue now we'll see how that works out but uh. I don't know. I think that might
1: be a bridge too far. I tell you what, folks, we will come back and actually start the show in just a second. I'm Andy. That's Dr. Mark. That's Chris. We're three of four hats, and we'll be back in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Bye.
2: Hat Nation. Want to support the show and help it grow or, well, keep the lights on? Head on over to KYHOpodcast.com slash shop and buy some cool swag. Shirts, phone cases, hoodies, and yeah, hats. I mean, duh. All proceeds go right into Andy's pocket. Uh, I mean, help keep KYHO in your ears. That's KYHOpodcast.com slash shop. Go get some cool stuff, rep the show, and as always, keep your hat on. Which is a lot easier when, you know, you have a hat, right?
1: Let's have a brief talk about what we're going to briefly talk about. today. OK, uh, um, before we
2: jump back for, in, can I ask Mark a quick question uh, just about your go. new about your new fridge? Um, because oh, yeah. when I moved in here, I bought a new fridge and it totally freaked me out. The first time I opened it with uh, at night with the kitchen lights off uh, because of the way it was lit inside, all my food looked so sharp and so pure. And I'm like, holy shit, how did they make a high def <laughs> oh, it's those it's the
3: LEDs, man. You know?
2: Yeah. It's, it's the right. I, oh, no, I, so,
1: I was gonna ask Mark if you went so far as to get one of those refrigerators, <laughs> so of those refrigerators with the giant L C D panel on the outside of the door so you can literally Absolutely see your
3: groceries in you know, yeah. we no, the other way. No. It's like I'm so sick. I'm so sick. We could actually we can use this in the next segment. I am so sick of water and ice dispensers and in ice boxes. I just think it's the biggest <laughs> nonsensical extra plumbing uh, leak upon possible and that we had and we've got one and uh the
1: thing that i hate most about it it's nice to have cooler water but i also have a water pitcher See, we filter My thing everything
3: is, so it's not going through yeah, there so, anyway.
2: right well you have
3: to too because it's milwaukee it's water
2: oh, well mine, mine has a built-in yeah. filter uh-huh. Yeah, no, same here. Like, which like, is you know,
3: reverse osmosis.
1: That's what no, I get <laughs> yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, mine right. decides when I want ice. It tells me how much fucking ice I want. <laughs> it tells me how much ice I'm gonna fucking get. And by the way, <laughs> the dream of it actually winding up in my vessel oh, of it's one choice. 50-50. <laughs> it's gonna. And I've I've spent a not insignificant amount of time out of my life trying to figure out the right well, let's, angle. Let's add this in, and it,
3: add this in Andy. It, let's talk, yeah, talk Hi, folks, Good. we're it back. Welcome to in. Keep <laughs> Your Hat On. This is
1: me, Mark, and Chris talking about uh, home appliances <laughs> and the frustrations of <laughs> yeah. ownership. Well, and I, I mean, um,
2: Who knew you guys would get so excited about appliances? I mean, that's... What? Oh, no, I, I think that, I that, think that that it's... That's uh, the stereotype, I think.
3: I think it's a gender well, the, specific kind of stereotype, yeah. isn't it? The yeah.
1: guys like the know? And that's you just know, it. The and, uh, stereotype
3: well, was, was
1: forced upon us all. Yeah. Ah, you know, yeah. So back true. in the back so in the true. greatest generation, mm-hmm. they were like, these are the roles. And I'm sure even back then there were some guys going I want. I want to yeah, play with the cool. stove. I want <laughs> yeah. that, that. That. Oh, you mean if I make my own food, I can have what I wow. want. Well, Concept and, and, a revolutionary. and
2: and I've, I've I've embraced that so fully that I'm I'm freaking excited about my own vacuum cleaner. I'm I'm just like, dude, oh, <laughs> it. Mean, start, start cool I me on vacuum cleaner and my washer dryer. I own. And I'm like,
1: <laughs> I own a robot vacuum cleaner that we mm. never use, oh,
2: yeah.
1: um, because. Uh, and, and it's funny uh up until about three years ago and my robot is pretty damn old like everything i bought uh, it the old robots um th- they've gotten so much better you can go on youtube and watch these people setting up obstacle courses for their robotic <laughs> vacuum cleaners and some guys will uh that are like in condos that have uh have like the one or two step Recessed uh, pit sitting area. Uh-huh. They'll build little ramps for them so that they can go. To, <laughs> just it's like at that point, are you actually just taking care of your home, or are you getting off on your roboticist fetish? Yeah. I did have
3: a, I had a, a friend in the ancient years ago who actually sold vacuum cleaners, and of course, whenever we asked him how business was, he said. It sucks. It
1: sucks. It
2: sucks. Yeah. Oh, God. Come on. Yeah. Sorry about that. I did not make you're, that. That's you're, actually true. No, you're, that actually
1: you're three quarters uh, of a second behind, no, that, Chris. That's, that that's was along just the lines of, up
2: for you on a platter. When I was a teenager, um, I thought I was so brilliant when I came up with the idea that, you know, that they should launch a marketing campaign that says nothing sucks like a Hoover.
1: Well, and here's the thing, Mark, I <laughs> bet you, I bet that the guy that you're referring to was probably a Kirby salesman. He might very well have been. He was a, he was oh, one of these hustler guys, you know. Uh, I got to tell you though, uh, to Kirby. this day. <laughs> nobody makes a vacuum cleaner like kirby does oh. seriously we had a kirby uh, joke goes, a a kirby could suck the chrome off a bumper oh those yeah. things were absolutely <laughs> amazing built like the tanks they looked like mm-hmm. um but they really honestly were way
2: v- young very son.
1: worth it that's <laughs> well and the other thing is that when you were buying a kirby vacuum cleaner unless you were one of the very very fortunate privileged people to be able to pay for it outright mm. kirby was if <clears> i remember what it was one of the first door-to-door companies oh, that, lot that. that did yeah. financing. Yeah, did financing. You know, and you would you would have a Kirby account. Mm-hmm. Um, but, anyways, we're going in an interesting direction here today. Um, there's you know so much stuff going on in the world and. It, it seems like we've got a year's worth of material just from the month that we've been off. Oh um, yeah, wow. you my, know, line not, in, uh, my not, favorite... not that we really want to go down yeah. any of my that. My favorite line ahead, in, in
3: uh, Hamilton, by the way, is uh, the beginning of the second act where Jefferson comes back. He goes, "What I miss?
1: <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> Okay, sorry. Go on. Yes. So it's been a week.
1: Um, it's been a month. It's been mm-hmm. a minute. Yeah. Um,
2: oh, I, so I turned Mark fifty sent this month, in, by the way.
1: Oh, that's right. Let's not pass up uh, oh, our congrats. opportunity. Tough.
3: Well, I broke Happy through.
2: Happy
1: birthday, brother Chris. Thank you. You're always going to be four years behind me. Yep. Um, I, I just feel I, I trust you. This next four years,
3: take good care, <laughs> of, yourself. Start <laughs> good <laughs> care <laughs> of yourself. Take good care of yourself. <laughs> you got to have
1: your health. Man. As you're saying, we're all in used cars. <laughs> that's um, right. That's right. But uh, this. Next topic, and this is something that Dr. Mark knows well of me, um, is is kind of near and dear to my ah, heart. Yes, and it's not it. It, it could come off, and I want to I want to start this conversation where this could come off as being sensationalizing or aggrandizing or even at times making light of. It's complicated because what we're going to be talking about today is drugs. Uh, but we're not talking about drugs, no, not
2: drugs, right?
1: We're talking about drugs, a change. We're talking about drugs and we're talking about a change that has happened. You know, honestly, over the last 60, 70 years, and it's taken us a long time to get to where we are now, and it's taken oh, yeah. us a long time to get to where th- what we're going to talk about today is is being looked at with new eyes which uh, the statement that i just made in and of itself is kind of interesting um dr mark sent me an article in the new york times believe it times. or not yes indeed yeah it was the time. well which as as you just pointed out i think is an interesting thing to be mindful of yeah. the new york times is writing about mm-hmm. this um You know, all our listeners uh, or many of our listeners, I'm sure all nine of you, um, you know, at at some point in time or other in your life, you get either exposed to drugs or you seek them out or uh, in some other way, shape or form, have an experience either directly or indirectly. That is about pharmaceuticals, about drugs, about about compounds that affect your consciousness. And. I have in my life used them a lot um, to good and not so good. Uh, You know, full disclosure, I'm a heroin addict and a cocaine addict from back in the 80s. Um, I got clean right around 1989, 1990, and I've been clean of those substances since. But to say that I've avoided drugs is absolutely (laughs) not the case. Um, You know, and we're going to briefly but this is not really what this is about we're going to include cannabis as a drug because that speaks to the overall change the cultural shift that has happened over the last 50 years i'm glad you
2: opened that door because in some of my supporting reading uh i i was looking at some stuff that uh that crossed my radar in the last week or so about cannabis so i think that should be part of the conversation that that you know we're we're having here
1: um When it comes to cannabis, we've got, you know, here in the United States, we've got 19 states plus D.C. and Guam that have uh, effectively legalized cannabis for recreational use. When it comes to uh, medical use and medical exemptions, uh, we're up about 38 to 40 states have some medical provision Mm -hmm. for cannabis. That was a very significant change that was fought for by many people. Um, most notably, this change started happening uh, back in the, uh, the mid-80s when a book was published by a guy named Jack Harrer. And uh, full disclosure, I'm a friend of the Hare family. And uh, some of you who might have searched on some of the material that I've done know that me and Chris uh, did a couple pilot episodes of a podcast with Jack's son, Mark Hare, wow. that was cannabis specific. Cool. But Jack wrote a book called The Emperor Wears No oh, Clothes. This, yeah. And it really changed, started the change in people's minds about cannabis and hemp. And really all the value that we threw away with the bathwater when it came to cannabis prohibition. Now, I don't want to go down the prohibition route because I'll be here for three days. Mm-hmm. But Chris and I are going to go out for in, pizza while you do that. So, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, just bring me a slice back. That's all I ask. Yeah. Um, but that that book and that change that started in the boomer generation um, with the acceptance of all these mm. things. And not, not only the acceptance of them, but the use of them with no ill consequence. Um, a lot of people have experiences in, in Mark's generation, in the boomer generation, <laughs> where, you know, they, they did these things, they had their dalliances, and they moved on with with really no harm and actually <clears throat> often a lot of really good memories. I'm going to say, of, you know,
3: I'm going to say. A lot of good times had. I mean, if the, right? histor- the history for me is particularly troubling about this because <clears throat> we're making great strides in the use of, especially these hallucinogenic stuff that we'll talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> it wasn't just Timothy Leary and dropping acid and so on in the 60s mm-hmm. and for fun. Um, and in my own case, I had a very, I had a brief... <laughs> <laughs> and a brief and intense uh, relationship with some psychotropic substances uh, during my freshman year of high school. Um, I went. I went to Ferris Bueller's high school essentially, and oh, the joke. Yeah. Wa- the joke was that there was no drug problem there because there was plenty for everyone. Um, <laughs> right. but I had, you know, I had this very brief encounter with it and I got what I needed out of it, which is important. And it sort of set the path for a lot of my meditative practices and everything else that happened later. And, you know, I fall into this huge demographic of people that that happened to one thing I'll just mention in passing. Cause you guys were just a little too young to remember this, but sometime around 19 and I still can't get over this sometime around 1976 oh, or seven, um, there was this sea change in uh, in uh, people taking uh, a, a LSD or what we used to call MDMA,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, you know, whatever, was. right?
3: All these, and you know, or mushrooms or, or peyote. And uh, when I was raised taking this stuff the opportunities that I had for it, it was always considered experimentation. And so people wouldn't say, are you doing drugs? They'd say, are you experimenting with mind altering substances? That's what that was. Right. The and yeah. the answer was, oh yeah, we are. Now what happened was this is when I, this is when people started really taking uh, acid and stuff recreationally. And we, <laughs> there was, there was a guy and I had long since <clears throat> stopped, but I remember a bunch of guys from the dorms, a bunch of the freshmen who were in this crew of recreational users of, you know, you know, do you want to be tripping for 16 hours? Is that really recreation? Really?
2: And and that's, Um, that's actually part of why I stayed away from LSD. I, I, I mean, I shouldn't say I stayed away. I, I've tried it, uh, three times in my life, Mm. always hoping for a decent experience and I just, it it was never pleasant for me. So I walked away from it. However, mushrooms, uh, boomers, as I like to call them. Uh, I, I, I love, uh, psilocybin. I mean, it, it works Mm -hmm. with my system very well. And, and the big thing that was the turnoff for me with regard to LSD was how long you were up I mean, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, it's, yeah. and, and, and there's me. no easy out. I mean, once you're, once you're there, no, you're you're, there.
3: you're in the water slide. Nope. Well, let me just top this off. This is where I was headed is these, these guys had gone to see a John Denver concert and they were, they were still tri- tripping. I said, are you guys still loaded? Are you high? It's like, Oh no, man, we did acid before we went. I said, you went to see John Denver on acid.
2: Yeah,
1: that seems you know. Weird. I would I would hazard to guess that more people than Wouldn't, you suspect probably did that. I did go. Um, I did go uh,
3: here. Bach on acid, by the way, which was transformative. Oh, well, no, well, here's where I'm going. <sighs> by the time we get to the Reagan administration, all of that stuff got stopped. Cold.
2: Yeah. Well, because experimentation, the language changed. Experimentation, thanks to just say no and dare and all of that crap. That's right. Uh, that's right. Experimentation. Skipped right past use to abuse,
3: yeah, and, and use was
2: abuse as far as as far as the language.
3: And so, what Andy's saying yeah. is, like, we've spent really like the last forty years crawling back from the damage that Reagan did to the social movement. I'd say this is a mind. And, and not
1: that. only that, we in that time, and a lot of people in, well, the Gen X generation, like we often do, we understood this more deeply because we spent most of our times either locked up in our rooms or at the library while we were waiting for our parents to get home from work. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. we, we left a lot of legitimate. Yeah. Understanding and science and research behind as the price to pay for this this new aware generation I don't of know. don't say no. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But before we jump to a break, I want to make something clear. At a lot of times when you're talking about things like this, experiences like this, um, there's this uncomfortable vibe about, should you be laughing at this? Should you find some joy or humor in this? I mean, if we were talking about domestic abuse, the answer is hard no. Hard no. If we were yeah. talking about so many other things, it would be wholly and totally inappropriate. But when you talk about drugs, and and uh, again for people, I've I've actually been a drug educator for decades, um, in, in, many different places. And I volunteered with a number of organizations, um, that, that talk to people about drug use and, and including drugs in your life or Mm. stepping away from them. But one of the things that I always uh, taught, and I'm air quoting myself there for the uh, people that can see me on camera, all two of them (laughs) is you need to allow for some humor. In this discussion, you need to allow yourself to keep the good things that, even if you're talking about you falling into a place of abuse, you need to keep and allow yourself to experience and remember the good things that came out of it as well. Mm -hmm. Because one of the direct effects of these compounds is an experience of wonder, joy and connectivity with people. Yeah. And if you throw that away in order to have a discussion about drugs and not allow yourself to laugh and not allow yourself to go, that was a crazy time, you're doing the same damage in understanding drugs that was forced upon us culturally Mm -hmm. when we abandoned all this stuff back in the fifties and
0: sixties. Yeah. I, I
2: think there's gotta be a certain sort of fearlessness in the conversation to recognize that drug use is a mixed bag and that, and that it is a combination of potential pluses and potential minuses and have, have that really deep expansive conversation about Okay, what do you do about the pluses? What do you do to uh, what do you do to emphasize the pluses? What do you do to mitigate the minuses? Recognize well, I was just gonna
1: say and that it's and, a and thing, that's something and that it's there. Yeah, that's something that that's something that we'll go over because generally speaking, you can increase the pluses and minimize the minuses with education and with wise use. And when yeah. we come back we're going to actually get to the point of why we're talking about this in the first place, because it's actually really big news. And it's something that people in my bubble have been fighting for. Well, hell (laughs) since they invented war, this is the Narrowband broadcast network. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Chris Vicano and Dr. Mark Peterson. And we'll be right back to continue talking about drugs. Hold on.
3: Are there there people who don't have a sense of humor about this? Is that what you're saying?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can tell that you haven't spent a whole lot of time in a fucking 12-step program, man.
3: Uh, no.
0: (laughs) (sighs) Hey, everybody. Michael, your stalwart announcer here, the voice of the Keep Your Head On podcast. We really hope you're enjoying the shows we put out every month and the bonus goofiness we try and throw in. If you do, we'd really appreciate your support. While we'd love it if you could help us out with a monthly donation by heading over to patreon.com slash nbbn Please don't forget that you can also support us by telling your friends, relatives, the hot Amazon delivery guy, hell, your potted fern, about the show. And do the like, click, and subscribe thing. That's free, and it helps us out more than you might suspect. We just want to keep putting something good out into this bananas world at this extra bananas time. And we want you along for the ride. No matter what, thanks so much for audio visualizing. Now... Let's get back to the show. And
1: we are back. This is the third segment of Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott, along with Dr. Mark Peterson and Chris Vacano. And we are talking about drugs. Particularly, we're going to be talking here in this segment about what is more commonly referred to as psychedelic drugs. Now, first off, I hate that term. Uh, I'm, I'm not a
3: big fan of it at all. Um, you, don't really, like, you don't like psych- um, is psychedelia? Is it outdated or in- inaccurate? Or? It, well,
1: it, it is and it's not. Um, Humphrey Osmond uh, in the 1950s was a lead researcher in uh, what is termed psychedelic drugs. He actually coined the phrase psychedelic or the term psychedelic. And all psychedelic means is mind manifesting. Uh, but... Yeah. A lot of the research into, you know, uh, and here we'll state for the the audience that you know the the big uh, the big boys in the psychedelic compound arsenal are things like LSD. Um, uh, yeah, I'll throw PCP in there because it was yeah. Yeah, at one point in time, oh, yeah. you know, a, a very big thing, and. Um, uh, a, 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 MDMA does get categorized as a psychedelic, even though it's not. It's really what's more more appropriately referred to as an intactogen or an entheogen. And entheogen means God within us. Um, the thing about, and really the two that we're going to, the three that we're going to talk about today because i think there and chris you threw out the k word i'll put that in there as well we're really going to be talking about four compounds we're going to be talking about lsd we're going to be talking about mdma more commonly referred to as ecstasy we're going to be referring to psilocybin which is the active ingredient in what are referred to as magic mushrooms and then there's another compound called ketamine um All four of these compounds are what can be, in a catch-all, referred to as psychotropics, meaning effect on the psyche. Um, And they they all act in different ways. They share some things in that many psychedelic or psychotropic drugs often act on the 5-HT system Ah. in your brain, which is where your serotonin, is generated. Um, and serotonin is one of the feel good drugs. Mm -hmm. One of the feel good compounds in the human body. Um, but really in all four of these, the one that we have, the one that humankind has the greatest experience with is psilocybin. Um, you know, we've been eating mushrooms as hairless monkeys for a damn long time. And there is uh, a theory Um, And it's espoused by some people with real credential and some weird people um, called the stoned ape theory. And -hmm. the stoned ape theory is at what point did in mankind's development, did we start getting an idea of God or a deity or spirit or something other than that which is in us? being out there in the universe and the stoned ape theory goes you know we were foragers we probably stumbled on some mushrooms somewhere at some point in time ate them and then you know 45 minutes to an hour later we're suddenly laying back in the tall grass of a savannah looking at the uh the starry sky going ugh do you <laughs> think there's so you know, that kind of thing and the mind can Grasp that and go, yeah, you know what? That's actually kind of plausible. Kind
2: of. Yeah. Kind of. It makes intuitive sense. <laughs> it makes intuitive
1: sense. I would agree with that. As time went on, though. Psilocybin and mushrooms themselves have a long and storied history in, in, in the culture of humankind. Um, we know they were used uh, ritually as far back as Neolithic times. Um, there's a a lot of history of use in ancient Greece. There's some, uh, there's some implication that there might've been use in ancient Mesopotamia. Um, but the, the short form is we've been tweaking our consciousness for a long, 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 long time, longer than human history goes jump forward into the 40s, we've gone through prohibition here in the United States. We've gone through two world wars. We have started to understand that drugs can elicit many different kinds of mind states and have many different kinds of side effects or secondary effects. And, you know, many people know that World War II was powered by amphetamines. Um, <clears throat> we often hear that, you know, the Nazi war machine was powered by amphetamines, particularly methamphetamine. Um, and a lot of people didn't even realize that methamphetamine existed back then. Oh, it sure did. Um, it's unfair, though, to say that only the Nazis were taking speed. Uh, all the Allied forces had access to amphetamines in order to increase attention and endurance and on and on and on.
2: And hours staying awake. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not only staying awake, but staying awake with some level
1: of acuity in your senses. And, and alertness. When, you're, yeah. when you're flying in a garbage can, mm. f- you know, wrapped with glass and asked to look out <laughs> for a tiny little bug in the, uh, in the air, that's going to come and shoot you down
2: and do it for eight um,
1: hours. Right. Exactly so.
2: We get through
1: and and primarily into World War II, and there's a lot of research that starts happening with pharmaceutical compounds. And one of them is a guy in Switzerland who starts messing around with ergot. Ergot is a fungus that grows on rye. And if you read history, you know that there were ergot outbreaks in, uh, in many periods of history when the rye grain got a little funky, people yeah, ate it they, they and think started the Salem, running. The Salem, run Salem witchcraft naked.
3: trials might have been involved in some of that. I
1: yeah. have always yeah. suspected that that yeah. might be the case, but anyways. So we get this guy who decides to start messing with it. This gentleman's name was Albert Hoffman, and Albert Hoffman, to cut a very long story short, is the guy who discovered LSD. And this happened in the mid forties and there's, you know, very famous, uh, stories by him, uh, about his first two experiences taking LSD himself. The first one was a complete and utter accident and was absolutely abjectly terrifying to him. But like any good science researcher, he was just like, that was an uncontrolled experiment. (laughs) I will now perform a controlled experiment and he took a much lower dose and uh, according to him had one of the most delightful days of his life that day is now referred to as bicycle day uh and it it happens to coincide nicely with uh cannabis's holiday 420 Bicycle Day is 419 and it's called Bicycle Day because one of the things that Albert Hoffman did was he got on his bicycle and rode from his uh, (laughs) research facility back to his home and said it was one of the most uplifting experiences of his life and really broadened his, his, his view. Now, where this really comes into play is after Hoffman, um, And Hoffman worked for a pharmaceutical company called Sandoz. And Sandoz Mm -hmm. started marketing LSD for research purposes under the name Delicid. Um, A number of researchers started using Delicid. They, They tested it themselves. And the mental shift was so dramatic that they were like, there's probably some kind of psychiatric use in this we should start testing this and right before we came back from break chris uh was talking about we i brought up 12 step programs Mm -hmm. um really one of the first places that lsd started being researched was in abuse recovery um we started having a massive problem with alcoholism post-war i mean not a great surprise all those guys coming back completely and utterly traumatized from the, the, the indescribable hell of World War II. And a number of people started researching if LSD could help people abstain from alcohol. And interestingly, a lot of people don't know. Many people are familiar with the guy who came up with the anonymous 12-step program. Is a guy named Bill W. Bill W. Mm -hmm. And one of the things a lot of people in the 12-step program don't understand is, number one, Bill W. self-dosed himself with LSD. And Bill W. came back and said, this is quite possibly one of the most powerful tools recovery could have. Mm -hmm. There were a number of researchers at that time, and, and it, th- a lot of this happened up in Canada. There's a very famous, uh, very famous uh, research project treating alcoholism with LSD. And the results were s- absolutely surprising. Somewhere up towards 60% of those who were dosed with LSD under a controlled environment uh, completely and utterly quit using alcohol in all its forms and were still abstaining a year after one treatment. If you in the eighties told anybody that they would have said you were high because most of the research was much harder to find before the days of the interwebs. But where this brings us to now is this slow and incremental growth back towards an openness to even discuss these things Mm -hmm. and what i want to pose to you guys is this before we continue on in the conversation is why do you think and here we're again two generations the gen xers and the boomers why do you think there was this much fear that 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 took this obvious progress of the 40s and 50s and just sent it off the rails what was mark what do you think the the primary fear was,
3: <laughs> I have resi- I have spent years resisting the idea that you know these kind of generalizations about about ideas uh, or technologies which uh, confront the sort of overarching dominant paradigms of a culture, right, and that the culture will just go completely freak out. So right now, for instance, you know what we may or may not be seeing. <clears throat> is a reassertion of the worst kind of patriarchy, right, for instance. Uh, And I'm kind of reticent to just cash in completely with that. I think there's all sorts of other reasons involved in this. But that could be what it was. Um, You know, LSD was a a huge threat to an established norm, which is very difficult. Even I, I was at the tail end of the boom, right? I did not get to participate in the 1960s. I had to watch it. Um, yeah. You're about as, you're about as boomer as you are. Gen yeah, X. I'm, That's I'm one of the real the why we we, Yeah. We, we, affiliate yeah, so well. They have a, they have a name for us. In fact, you know, it's like Obama's generation. It's that, it's that, that zone of people in the late fifties who were born uh, in the late fifties. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, uh, the previous paradigm, you know, I mean, I was exposed to it and it was one in which women weren't supposed to work for instance. Um, and in which uh, African-Americans really needed to keep their place, right? And so all that stuff. And um, what you have happening is, I think it was, you know, the shock in California of all these kids going and doing the electric Kool-Aid acid test at, at Jefferson Airplane right. concerts and stuff. Uh, that just, no good can come from that. That just shook them up. And, um, you yeah. know, the irony about this, it strikes me is like the one thing that really sent, uh, LSD, especially down this dark road or, you know, it, it, the, uh, the, the PR was that, uh, was, you know, uh, Richard Albert, uh, not, later to become Ram Dass and Timothy Albert were doing these experimentations. And of course, Ram Dass has owned up to this in more recent years. Uh, he had a student he was kind of in love with, and he uh, agreed to give this kid a little bit of LSD because it was part of the program. Every other patient that they had in the program or, t- or a client in their program, their test subjects, was having a wonderful time. And Richard Albert gave this ki- this guy uh, a dose. The guy had a terribly bad trip. The kid's dad is rich. The kid's dad talks to the board at Harvard, and Richard Albert and mm-hmm. Timothy Leary get tossed. And I think that sort of set a tone for it. But what what's the offensive feature of this, right? Um, I wanted to say, you know, the, the simple, easy one. So well, let's just start the conversation with that. The obvious and simple one is that it was somehow a threat to the established order. That, that liberating mm-hmm. people from their preconceptions of themselves is a threat to the established order. And if I track this back down in my discipline, which gets started with Socrates, Socrates gets killed <laughs> by the established order specifically for looking into what he had presupposed. And actually, for helping other mm-hmm. people see those things, and I mean, I think one of the one of the ongoing characteristics of uh, of these substances, and, and specifically, you know, given the examples you're, you're here, giving here, Andy, they're able to unravel all the things that we all the baggage that we carried with us that might be hobbling us, and our society in some serious ways counts on us being hobbled. How About that, yeah,
2: I, Chris, I, I I'd like I agree with you a hundred percent. Mark, mm-hmm. I think I think you you've put your finger right on the heart of it. Um, I would like to expand on that a little bit, and and yeah, that that we operate under this unspoken yet deeply entrenched and prevailing assumption that society functions on a basis of normative behavior and nor and 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 norms and mores, right? And actions are dictated by ideas, thinking, thoughts. Uh, I, I think that's a reasonable assertion to make. You know, you think, you act. Um, and where the danger comes in with psychedelic drugs is that the, the threat that was perceived is and, – and, and observed, honestly, was – When people are allowed to open up their thinking, change their own perspective, break their own thinking patterns, which psychedelic and psychotropic drugs do, then you see shifts in behavior. And and this started to manifest in some very concrete actions where, for example, Nixon and Johnson were so hostile to any kind of drug use because they felt it was driving uh, resistance to the war in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the legal stuff started coming into play and, and a lot of laws started getting passed and things like that uh, and, and criminalization. You couple that with, let's move into the Gen X perspective and a lot of what I witnessed growing up, and Andy, I'm sure you witnessed a lot of this as well. Uh, you mentioned 12-step programs. Those became very sort of de in the 80s. Uh, you couple that with, um, with movements like Just Say No and Dare. They all, at, at the heart of them, they all have the same modus operandi. And 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 it's a very simple MO, which is you have to vilify the substance in order to effect the change that you want. Uh-huh. And well, not the- only
1: that, they had this comp- they had this component built in that was join us join us oh yeah join us oh, the and I, here now
3: right you're,
1: you're, you're well, you're and
2: yeah. Dare. The, 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 and dare, oh, okay. dare.
1: Yeah. a lot of recovery programs yeah and they all have this weird underlayment to them of join us be one of us this be vaguely a behavior your click. Yeah. and it, it it is and it can be and you know i'll i'll say uh up front that 12-step programs have helped me and my family immeasurable yeah me too 12 step programs were something that i participated in for many many years but 12 step programs were something that i personally stepped back from when as you were saying chris it was always a vilification and a demonization Mm -hmm. of the substance themselves and where we're going next we're going to kind of leave lsd behind uh well at least two of us are, I <laughs> will make no comment. Um, but as we moved forward, really the next big one that comes up, and this is what ties directly into what Dr. Mark and I were reading in this article that, that, mm-hmm. uh, Chris also was able to read. And that is a compound called methylene methamphetamine, better known as MDMA. And the slang is ecstasy. I have a dear friend of mine who Dr. Mark uh, was able to meet. He was one of the groomsmen in my wedding who very uh, in, in a wonderful uh, way said um, there is no more accurate description to MDMA than calling it ecstasy um, <laughs> Now, ecstasy really started out in the, it was first synthesized, uh, ages ago. People do not understand how old it is. Mm -hmm. It was, it was, uh, it was first synthesized back at the turn of the 20th century, um, by the pharmaceutical giant that we know now as Merck. And, um, they had no idea what it did and it sat as a, as a drawn out formulation for decades. It was initially part of a program, if I remember right, that was working on trying to come up with compounds that would help, uh, state blood loss. Um, they were working on vasoconstrictors, Um, and again, somebody came up with this formulation and went, I don't know what this is and set it aside. It was rediscovered, uh, in the, uh, mid seventies by a guy named Alexander Shulgin. And Schulgen is a absolutely fascinating character. I will only mention this very briefly. There are two books that he wrote. One is called Pcal, and the other one's called Tcal. Pcal stands for phenethylamines that I have known and loved, and Tcal stands for tryptamines that I have known and loved. It's a very interesting uh, two books, and they were written in a, in a very interesting way. It's a part chemical uh, how to and part love story. Um, and I'll leave it at that. But Schulgen kind of rediscovered MDMA and he was the first person to purposefully dose himself. One of the interesting things about children is that he was fascinated with, um, he worked for Dow chemical for many years in the sixties and he was given that Holy grail of work reward. When you work for a chemical company that he came up with a really effective pesticidal agent. And they said, "All right, you're making money for us now. You can just go research whatever the hell you want. What do you want to do?" And he was like, "Pharmacokinetics." Mm-hmm. They're like, "Okay, we'll give you a bunch of spiders to test drugs on." You know, um, but he was the first person to take MDMA purposefully to assay its effects. And the first time he did it, uh, and this is kind of common with drugs, the first time he did it, he had an absolutely terrible experience. Um, but the second time he did it was absolutely revelatory in many different ways. And that set us on this path of MDMA being quote unquote out in the wild. But where this is really important is for anybody who has taken MDMA and anybody who's listening, who has taken MDMA, you are not only going to understand what I'm saying on an intellectual level, but you will feel it viscerally. Um, it is a life changing compound. It is. Beyond amazing, and we had this errant idea that when you take psychotropic drugs, you're experiencing a hallucination. I hate that. I think it is not it, that. That's a that is a carryover from the uh, prohibitionist and abolitionist mm-hmm. ideas mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. drugs. I have never in my life, in my long and storied life of taking psychedelic or psychotropic compounds ever ever experienced a hallucination nor have i i have no i have experienced some things that were distorted but they weren't hallucinations it is very very rare for a compound to actually give you true hallucinations
2: right right. for example mdma uh, I, i was just thinking back to uh my, my last LSD use, I I saw tracers on lights and that, that was just simply the effect of my brain processing the information as it was coming in differently.
1: But when you talk about MDMA, one thing that anybody who's taken it will agree with either good or bad, but the vast majority is good as, um, They're a different person because they took that compound. That is how powerful MDMA is. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as is so often the case with drugs, when it got out into the wild, people didn't know when to say, I've had enough. It got out, uh, really, MDMA in the United States started out in in the disc, sorry, Mark, the disco culture of uh, of, of early and mid-80s Texas in gay (laughs) dance clubs in Texas, and it took off. And, um, you know, really, people – who doesn't want to feel good? Who doesn't want to just feel
3: If you were in a gay disco in Texas in the 1970s, you really earned the right to have the drug. (laughs) I
1: I wholly and totally agree (laughs) with that. I endorse that. that Yeah. No, I agree. But really, it started – and at the same time, interestingly, what was happening culturally here in the United States uh, in late 80s and early 90s was a stepping away from all the formulaic types of entertainment and going into a much more. And this is where I come into the scene, uh, a much more DIY ethic when it comes to having a good time. Oh, and yeah. really, this holds hands with the birth of the rave culture. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, I,
2: uh, and, you and know, that to, wouldn't to, exist <laughs> without MDMA.
1: I, w- I would wholly and totally agree with that statement, Chris. I would completely agree with that. The That kind of party started out in the UK with something referred to as acid house music. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of really good documentaries on the acid house movement in the late 80s, the Madchester scene, all that stuff. We'll leave that alone. But here in the States, suddenly people started overdoing it with MDMA. And mm. unlike unlike LSD and unlike psilocybin which have a very 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 low uh, uh threshold of harm they have a very low harm profile mm. um you know I, I and i'll say this out loud uh at one point in time in my past i took 12 tabs of acid at once and i was under the influence for almost 3 days It changed my life, and it changed my life for the better, and I have absolutely no ill effects from it. That does not mean that other people that would do the same thing, and here's a disclaimer, don't do that, kids. don't do that, don't do that. Um, But the the chances for physiological harm from either mushrooms Mm. or LSD is extraordinarily low. Now, when you change out of those kinds of tryptamines and you get into a phenethylamine, like MDMA that does have a a cardiac load and um, does have some anesthetic properties itself. Mm -hmm. Um, If you take too much of it, you do have a chance of having heart arrhythmia. You do have a chance of overexerting yourself and literally ripping a tendon because you don't feel it. But having said that, the chances of taking a normal dose and having an adverse effect for, for MDMA are also extraordinarily low. It has a very high safety profile when taken. And see, I'd, I'd normally jump in and say when taken as directed, but <laughs> <laughs> so in 1985, we started getting reports of people at parties passing out, going into hyperthermia where their body overheats. Um, And unfortunately, we had had a number of people, a number of fatalities from, uh, uh, from the use of MDMA Um, really what happened though with those and very famously one of them was a young girl in the UK uh, took MDMA for the first time and everybody told her drink water, drink water, drink water, it's really important to drink water she drank too much water and she gave herself a condition called hyponatremia. (sighs) Mm -hmm. Hyponatremia is when you drink so much water that your body and your kidneys can't process it and it throws off the electrolyte balance in your body and 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 you wind up having a heart attack in your own tissues Yeah. well no you wind up having a heart attack because the amount of saline in your body, which is referred to as an isotonic balance, mm-hmm. goes completely off and your your heart doesn't get the signals from your autonomic nervous system to keep beating. So it's very sad, but it's also very rare. Um, to this day, there are millions of people every weekend in the UK that take MDMA and it's still very rare that you hear that there was a true adverse reaction and where this all comes into play now, is the United States is now, f- in the past couple of years, for the first time in decades, researching the use of compounds like LSD and primarily compounds like MDMA to treat post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. It is the the United States and uh, also I believe the who the World Health Organization has granted breakthrough status. To both MDMA and psilocybin Hmm. for use in psychotherapy. And that's huge. And that's one of the reasons why, for the last 20, let's see, seven years now, I've been a part of an organization called MAPS. MAPS stands for the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. And it's founded and run by a guy named Rick Doblin. And Rick understood way back that we, we were throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There was immense potential for healing through use of these compounds. And we didn't know the answers. We had a lot of apocryphal stories of people saying, my life has changed like me. And that, you know, all these other people say, I'm a kinder person. I got over my abuse or I forgave this person. And when he just went, why don't we understand that? People are going to keep taking drugs no matter what. Maybe we should stop saying the drugs are bad and investigate the behaviors. And not only that, for people who do choose to include these things in their lives, instead of demonizing them and, and, and saying that what they're doing is wrong, maybe we just give them simple techniques to do these things safely. Right so that we take the load off of our healthcare system by having a bunch of people run in for something that doesn't really matter. No, you're going to calm down. You took LSD. It's going to be a while. Let's find something pleasant to watch on television.
2: Well, Well, I mean, is that not kind of the much bigger overarching paradigm shift in our thinking that we're struggling our way through right now of, Take take an issue and it's problematic when it's left to go unfettered. And I'm you guys. I'm sure are aware. I'm alerting uh, uh, alluding to two very big topics of the day that have nothing to that do. We are talking
1: about because we'd never stop. <laughs>
2: uh, exactly, and that's why I'm not actually going to say them explicitly. Allusion
1: there, accepted.
2: There is a big paradigm shift battle going on in our thinking of. Do you throw off the guardrails? Do you fully vilify? Or do you figure out where the right place to put the guardrails are so that people can do these things safely without harming mm-hmm. other people and well, without and that's harming why we themselves? Get this,
1: and that's why we get this term that's come up in the really last 15 years called harm reduction. Mm-hmm. And harm reduction is one of the things that MAPS really focuses It's efforts in Uh, uh, maps runs uh, a volunteer group that I was once a part of. I haven't been in years, but it's referred to as the Zendo project. And when you talk about these big festivals, things like um, the burn burning man, things uh, like um, electric daisy carnival or all these other huge EDM festivals, you know, there are 50,000 people on drugs there. Are you going to get 50,000 people who want to take drugs to not take drugs? No. So (laughs) what are you going to do that's wise, that gives you the greatest payoff? And that is make sure they're as safe as possible. And that's what the Zendo project does. If somebody is struggling, having an emotionally or a a psychically difficult experience, they go to the Zendo and there are trained people like me uh, at one point in time who are there to help those people in emotional or mental distress. And they also have medical facilities there as well. Um, and by the way, the, the term Zendo is just a, a, a phrase. that has it's no connection to the actual spiritual Zen practice, except in maybe compassion. But the use of MDMA and psilocybin, and now I'm going to bring in the one that you mentioned earlier, Chris, ketamine. Ketamine is a very interesting compound. Ketamine is an anesthetic. And back in the early 70s, it was used very frequently in the United States as a medical anesthetic. Um and I have a very very early experience with ketamine. I got I had uh, an abdominal surgery when I was 5 and I uh it, it was very worrying for my parents because um after the surgery I didn't wake up. Um, I was I was in an anesthetic state uh, for much longer than I was supposed to have. And what we know now, what happened was I was sensitive to ketamine and I fell into what is colloquially referred to as a K-hole um, where my brain just wasn't processing it out fast enough so it just stayed in there and wow, I was gone for a long time. However, ketamine is also... Uh, a compound given breakthrough status ketamine has been used for years. It used to be called the medic 's little friend um, because um, particularly in airborne units, uh, the airborne medic would have three or four ketamine pens at the ready because if somebody got injured in a combat environment and were bleeding out, they could hit them, and that it would it would immediately stabilize them. It would slow the system down out of its panic reflex and lower the blood pressure to a safe place so that they could tourniquet somebody and keep them from bleeding out. And ketamine is also very widely used in uh, law enforcement and in in emergency medical uh, response for the exact same reason. Very high safety profile. What we wound up finding out is that a dose of ketamine can break through people's pharmaceutically resistant depression in a way that things like Prozac, Zoloft can't even touch. You're literally talking about people who were given one or two doses in a controlled environment and no longer qualified as depressed Mm -hmm. by medical definitions, life-changing stuff. And the same thing MDMA is being looked at now. We've got two generations of people who've been doing nothing but fighting wars all the way back to the Gulf and, and have seen these things. And then, you know, our entire two decade involvement in Afghanistan and we've got people coming back with trauma, the likes of which we don't know how to handle. And we've got people who have taken MDMA on their own and said, I couldn't get past this until now mm-hmm. and have, and, the success rate of this is off the charts. Oh, yeah. We are talking about people, you know, nobody in recovery ever says cure. That word is verboten. You don't say cure. Mm-hmm. You say terms like management. You say terms like acceptance. Cure, never. We've got medical researchers saying the word cure over MDMA and ketamine and psilocybin. And that is huge. It's never happened before. It's,
2: it's astonishing. I'd, I'd like to tie together a couple of different things. I, I, I mean, first of all, what this speaks to in terms of the research and and the controlled environment and the you know underguided use, what it speaks to is what I referenced earlier when we were talking about why why there was so much hostility in the seventies and eighties? That, that the the therapists who are looking at this, and the and the researchers who are looking at this, are essentially the model is take a person out of their fixed thought patterns, put give them a different perspective and allow them to process those memories in a different way and absorb and put them in a different place. But it takes you out of your patterned, rigid thinking and moves you to this different place. The other thing I'd like to tie into this is looking way back in the conversation to the guy, uh, Humphrey Osmond, who coined the term psychedelics. He had a theory. He floated a theory that was just smashed down that schizophrenia, psychosis, and especially schizophrenia were the result of a chemical imbalance in the brain. And the prevailing wisdom at the time hated that. Yeah. Now think about that for just a minute, because that is canon of thinking now. I mean, that is at the heart of thinking is managing your brain chemistry. So you introduce these psychotropic psychedelic drugs, you're changing the chemistry. So you're actually changing the equipment so that you can process these things differently and get to a place where you can function.
1: I've always said that the right drug is really like a bios reboot. Um, and yeah. and it, and, and it breaks you out of that habituation and really this whole change that's happened, uh, and we're going to go out kind of with this is What brought us to this prohibition for so long is black and white thinking, good and bad thinking. And that's fallen away over the years, but it's coming back with a vengeance. All that we're dealing with right now is this idea Mm -hmm. of, and, and look, that's kind of what the definition of conservatism is somebody who views the world as a black and white proposition and Mm -hmm. this black and white thinking of it's just good or just bad. And there's no place in between is where we find ourselves now. But having said all that, as we go out, I want one funny story. (laughs) I want one funny story from each of you about your time's, dancing with the magic fairies. Chris, we'll start with you.
2: Um, okay. Uh, as uh, yeah. And this, this speaks to some of my experience as a, as a painter and artist, although it doesn't involve me making art. Um, uh, there was w- w- one party I was at in college, um, where, uh, I had done a fair bit of mushrooms, uh, I was sort of just gobbling them like you might eat Lay's potato chips. <laughs> and <laughs> Worst tasting and, Lay's potato chip ever. <laughs> I was into it. Um, and it wasn't quite that bad. But I, I mean, I, I had hit him pretty hard that night. Um, and uh, the, the main guy I was I was hanging out with at the party was this big chubby dude named Rowan who was wearing this solid Kelly Green shirt. And as the night progressed, I started seeing, I started noticing everything in the space that was green and it was really, really, really bothering me.
1: Super common with mushrooms. (laughs)
2: And, 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 and I was, I was, and so it got to a point where I was storming around the party going, why is there so much goddamn green around here? Mark, what do you got? (laughs)
3: I'm just I'm, I'm remembering a party. Uh I was at when um, uh uh the parents had gone off for the week and left the uh left the twins in charge of the house. And so of course they had everybody and god and everybody in. Right. This was the uh, this is the one time that I, I absolutely do remember um walking into <laughs> into the kitchen to look for something to drink. And there were four or five people literally clustered around the sink, watching it it drip. Wow. <laughs> then, you know, it's it's a little cliche now. You know, I don't th- but I at don't, the time I don't it wanna, was like I don't want to look like, it as cliche and more as an old classic. Yeah, it was a classic. It was, and it was yeah. so true. And it was like it was like I, I said, "What do you guys do?" And they went, "You got to see this."
2: <laughs> you know. I- I I, I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about psychotropics and psychedelics is that they do give you that headspace where you become fascinated with. Things uh, with details. The miracle. That,
1: the miracle of the mundane. The miracle of existence. The miracle of the yeah, mundane. Exactly
2: right. of the mundane yeah. and and trivialities and 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 it it slows you down and it stops and it makes you focus on those things for a minute and think I, about think about do these things have any meaning.
3: I do, have one, I do have one piece of geeky amusement oh, that please. goes well with this, with this course as a kind of amuse-bouche right, right. to top us off here. Bouche maybe me. I love using that. I don't get to use that word enough. You, can, you have <laughs> anyway, license um, to use it here anytime you want. Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. Well, yes. Um, so uh, it turns out that the Greek term pharmakon, from which we get pharmaceutical mm-hmm. and pharmacy and so on, uh, pharmakon had three distinct meanings in Greek which it still continues to sort of do today. And you have to think about this from a point of view of 3,000 years ago. But one, it it was used to describe uh, medicine, mm-hmm. as you would. It was mm-hmm. also used to describe poisons. Mm-hmm. Well, the only difference between it, the two is dosage. And it was also used to describe recipes.
1: That's right. And so if you think about <laughs>
3: Interesting. We still talk like this, right? Yeah. It's like you know, chicken soup is still like the well, best thing for a cold, yeah. and you know, uh, dropped some like food is fitness. Well, and, yeah. and, and dash, and, and so there you go. That, and, bit and
1: pinch so. are actually both uh, cooking terms and medical terms. Uh, it, it, there you go. It, it,
2: it all it all comes back to the Greeks. My always.
1: well, yeah, and uh, you know, it does for <laughs> us in the West. <laughs> That's true. And the interesting thing, of course, is that you know, one of the most famous uh, uh, Greek tales is uh, that of the Oracle at Delphi. And, um, we, we now understand that going and visiting, visiting the Oracle (laughs) meant you were getting (laughs) dosed, gas. you were getting (laughs) gassed, you were literally getting gassed. And, um, my story involves taking MDMA, having my then wife fall asleep and laying there when you take MDMA, uh, it's, it's referred to as an intactogen because your sense of touch is just turned up to like 37 Magnified. unbelievable. Uh so much as a a stroke of a finger down your hair is orgasmic. So my wife is fallen asleep. I am now <laughs> unsupervised <laughs> and um <laughs> laying in bed, I decide that my my hair's kind of bothering me a little bit. Um, and this is not in my long hair day. This is, you know, after I got married, so my hair was shorter, but I just didn't like the way my hair feels. So I was like, I'll go in and I'll, I'll take care of that little, that little thing that's bugging me. So I get out my trimmer (laughs) and flash forward about nine hours worth of sleep later. (laughs) Um, I, I, I'm, I'm laying in bed and I hear my wife get up and then come back into the room and I'll lean away from the mic when I do this, because all I heard was, Oh my God, Andy! What have you done? And I wake up in <laughs> what? What did you do? What did you do? Um, I was about a third
3: bald. Yeah. In which third specifically?
1: Yeah, um, the top center <laughs> of my head. Um yeah. and um, I I really I kind of looked like I belonged in uh a, a um a nineteen eighties romantic band. <laughs> because i really had i I looked like i i had radiation therapy on one side of my head and the other side of my head was just like these long wisps of uncontrolled hair um i will however say that in the intactogen department um there is nothing like shaving your head completely bald on a hot summer day taking mdma and then laying down that bare head on a cool percale pillowcase uh, end of story and with that we are out of here thanks a lot for letting us go on vacation even though you really oh, weren't asked hippies uh but yeah. uh you know i am andrew scott that is dr peterson that is chris vicano and on behalf Cheers. of Ty robert anthony we are saying season four is underway find your hat and keep it on because we may end up miles from here. thanks a lot folks take care take care of yourself take care of everybody else and we'll
0: talk to you again soon bye 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 well there's a chunk of time you can't get back from portland oregon this has been keep your head on a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular Keep Your Hat On is a Narrowband Broadcast Network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster, available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com. And don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess.
1: I'll tell you something else. I know this is not a very popular idea. You don't hear it very often anymore but it's the
3: truth i have taken drugs before and uh... i had a real good time (laughs) Sorry, didn't murder anybody,
1: didn't rob anybody, didn't rape anybody, didn't beat anybody, didn't lose mm, one fucking
3: job laughed my ass off and went about my day. Sorry.
1: NBBN. The
3: Narrowband Broadcast Network.
1: The focus is on you.